Hey there, this is Garrett Monroe from Hiram College Tech and Trek. Welcome to episode four. In this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Michael Mercier, the president of Screen Education, a friend and collaborator. Um, we've been really exploring the idea of mindful technology or digital wellness for the last few years. In particular, we sat down and talked about uh, the idea of a digital detox or what we call here at Hiram a mindful technology retreat, how it can benefit young people, some of the research he's done, some of the projects we've collaborated on, and where this thing is going. Hope everybody's staying well and healthy here during the uh, the COVID situation. I'm out on the back porch here of my house enjoying some work from home and a little bit of bird song as things start to uh, mild up in terms of weather. Anyway, um, please enjoy the conversation and reach out to us uh, via email or on social media. You can reach me at techandtrack at hiram.edu. Thank you so much. Talk soon. We've been working on some some exciting stuff. I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, we've been collaborating um, for uh, about a year now. Yeah. It feels like it's been longer. I know. I know. And we're getting ready now for the um, the next OETC conference, the Ohio Education Technology Conference, in Columbus this which is, coming February. Which is where we met. Yeah, <laughs> that's our origin story. <laughs> yeah, no app, right? We did it. <laughs> we did it in person, um, and uh, we have kind of a shared interest in this idea of uh, digital wellness, um, digital intelligence. We at Hiram here we call it mindful technology. Yeah. And there's a lot of different language for it. Um, you talk a lot about screen time, right? And your 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 organization is called um, Screen Education, right? Can, right. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? About that? Yeah. Well, we we do um, research and provide education in the form of training, talks, seminars on tech addiction, and. Um, you know, in, in the course of exploring the issue of tech addiction, it's it's necessarily led us to look at related issues, you know. Um, so we look at the social, emotional, cognitive, physical consequences of it. Um, but we've it, it also, you know, has gotten us into doing some research on cyberbullying. Um, yeah. And, and now we're starting to uh, get into the impact on workplace productivity, workplace environment. Um, workplace safety, mm. and and I would anticipate that other issues are going to emerge in the future with with new, you know, as as more um, advanced and sophisticated um, technologies are deployed th- through the global network and the global wireless network, that there'll be other problems that emerge that will probably turn our attention to. So, yeah, and you've yeah. been doing, um, yeah, I'm fascinated by this as an instructional designer and somebody who. Um, I consider myself a technologist, and uh, I'd say you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love working with technology. I love thinking about technology, and um, I, I love how technology opens up um, new possibilities. I like how it, it can be used. It's a. I just love how it empowers people. Often, it can be used for all kinds of things. Right. But so much of the conversation is what you're talking about. I think now we're starting to come out of this honeymoon phase. Of ubiquitous mobile tech, right? Of of everybody being connected all the time, and people are starting to ask bigger questions. Right? Um, how is it affecting um, learning and community and achievement and mental health, um, all kinds of things? 
uh, we, and I was struck by, um, so you do research and you're also kind of, uh, you also speak right. and you do seminars and workshops and you, ma- mainly you've been working with schools. Right. Um, and y- you've, you've also done quite a bit of research in particular with this idea of uh, the detox, right? the digital detox. Well, and the way that, that evolved is um, when, I, when, I first, when I first had the sense that this was going to end up being a big issue for society, you know, um, I, I needed, I was, I was doing market research for corporations and I, I wanted to start doing research on this issue on the side and uh, self-funding it, you know, um, and I needed to have a way, a, an easy way to get access to research participants. And um, I, I thought it would be difficult to go to schools, you know, if I wanted to start with kids, I thought it'd be difficult to get to school. You know, it would there'd be a lot of uh, red tape, you know, yeah. oh, in yeah. getting a school to say yes, we want this outside person to come and and do research with our kids, right? Um, but but I realized, you know, I could probably get summer camps to to allow me to talk to them, and and I realized that because of my own experience with my own kids, that overnight camps usually don't allow technology so i thought well this would be fascinating i could mm. go to summer camps they'll pr- probably let me talk to the kids and um what do they call it kind of a natural experiment right um well it's not necessarily an experiment it's just i, I guess it is yeah th- i guess in a way they're experimenting right yeah so it's naturally occurring but right. but i'm not conducting an experiment yeah it's not I'm a just, clinical yeah i just they're already these camps are already they're, they're not allowed to have cell phones or there's no connectivity right right Right. So this, yeah. So so it's 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 often sometimes both if the camp's in a rural area. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you and you've been well published with a lot of this stuff. You've well, been in the media. You've been on like t- uh, you know news channels. And yeah. Articles w- and with with local media. So I've done oh so far I've done like seven local, you know, radio interviews, two TV interviews, local TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've not gotten attention from national media. Um, but, but a fair amount of local, mm-hmm. local media. Yeah. What, what have you, and what have you found really with, with these summer camps? What do you, what was, well, the, you know, so that gave me access to the, to the population and I simply went in, you know, so I, I, I spoke to the first year I did this, I did about eight focus groups to nine focus groups with 15 year olds who had been at two different summer camps for two weeks. And I went in, maybe it was like the day before they left and did focus groups and i i expected them to all be complaining that they you know they're out of their minds because they they haven't had access to to their tech for two weeks and i i sort of realized i was onto something because i started to hear the complete opposite you know that they were they were actually relieved and thrilled and and to see this excitement and enthusiasm at how beneficial it was and also to see the fact that there was an awakening with these kids, like they were awakening to the mm. fact that, oh, this is, things can be a lot better. It, it, it can be very different than it is yeah. if I'm not constantly online, you know? That's what struck me so much when I saw you speak for the first time. It was the first time I'd ever heard that story, that students themselves or young people themselves were, were coming awake or curious about or starting to question, you know, being constantly connected. Right, and there was a stat you had from one of your surveys or one of your projects, which was like sixty-five percent of teens um, 
had tried to quit or and they couldn't or right um, there were t- yeah. so 65% said they wish they had a greater ability to self limit their screen time they wish they're saying they wish they could control it but they can't but yeah. but then 68% said they had tried to 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 curb their screen time and i i have an interesting point to make with that statistic if um if you look at the research i've done with teens and then look at a, a national survey we did of millennials and then look at another national survey of full-time employees, so this would be people aged 18 to 64, we see some similar numbers. And it's it's basically around 65% across those three populations are basically saying, I wish we could control this. Mm. So it's, it's across age groups. It was like 68% of millennials wish they could curb the screen time the 65 percent among the kids and then among employees it was about it was 65 percent said i feel that this is such a problem that my employer needs to do something about it yeah they're looking for yeah. structure they're looking yeah. for some kind of uh, solution right yeah that struck me and, and i think there was some language in there about the, the folks had um had been excessive screen time or spending too much time on their phone had gotten in the way of things they wanted to do with right. the day. they weren't right. able to get it get and do the thing get out and, and actually do the things they wanted to do right. because they were spending more time than they intended right. on their phone. And right. um, when I heard that, and I, I work here at Hiram with the Tech and Trek program, right. um, and, and we've been working on this idea of mindful technology, balance with technology, and so we offer our students the hiking boots, a pair of hiking boots and, a, and an iPad Pro. <laughs> and, and right. The idea, you know, there's a physical kit which is supposed to speak to uh, the the philosophy of the program, which is balance and innovation and exploration, doing things with the tech and not right. just being passive and not just, you know, consuming. Right. Um, and I I think I was kind of sheepish before hearing some of your research about trying to talk to young people about this problem. I felt like I had the uh, approval, and um, I, I I had sort of. I was empowered by uh, parents and stakeholders and educators. Like older people got this, right. but I felt like I had to. I had to have, speak a different rap with young people. Right. Um, and after hearing your talk, and and learning your research, it was very empowering to be like, no, let's talk about this directly with the young people. Right. And that there's young people interested in talking about the issue and going through programs, which we've been working on. Um, about retreating and being reflective and kind of thinking about digital intelligence and how to um, structure uh, techn- technology use and how to use it intentionally. Right. How do we facilitate that mindset? Right. Um, how, how long has um, Tech and Trek been in place? I, I wasn't. Yeah, we, we, we're coming up. We just we're we're coming up on just three years. Okay. So I started um, in June of two thousand seventeen. And uh, so here we are. It's, uh, you know. So, I, you know, from my perspective, I think that, you know, reflects a real visionary um, uh, quality that, that Hiram has to come up with a program like this that's pretty early. Oh, absolutely. To do that, yeah. Oh, totally. No, it's, uh, it's one of a kind. Yeah. And uh, it's a bold kind of vision. And that fits. It's a, it's a beautiful outgrowth of Hiram's sort of culture here is mm. trying to respond responding to challenges in the community and the culture. Yeah. What can we do as an institution of higher learning um, in service to the broader society? How can we respond to the big the big questions, the big challenges? And um, 
you know, doing things with intention, doing things, um, you know, in, in service of of uh, of our values is, is kind of what we're all about. And so it, it really resonates when you're able to talk about it on that level. You know, to be able to talk about iPads and technology with that kind of uh, <laughs> moral backing right, is, right. you know, it, you, you don't you come out the gate with that. <laughs> but right. um, I think at, at its core, that's what we're about is and and parents get it pretty quick faculty definitely get it it's a hard thing oftentimes to talk to faculty about right technology you know and 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 alongside ed tech any kind of device program comes um a lot of training and professional development and it sounds like kind of perfunctory workshops you know from the angle of a lot of folks who you know have other have have a lot going on very very busy people doing really important research and so to talk about ipads often is uh (laughs) Not on their, not on the top of their their to do list, um, but when you talk about it in terms of what's happening, wh- when they, when you talk about what the students are experiencing the day to day, when you walk into any classroom and you see that they're have their noses, you know, on the screens, right? Um, or what what helps them, you know, engage, uh, you know, on the other side of that coin is what works to to connect with them. Um, that gets people listening, uh, and so that it's an exciting yeah, it's an exciting space to talk about and to run a program. Right. It's a living, breathing thing here, Hiram. And it's already evolved over the last few years from how do we manage the physical inventory of, of iPads and boots and pencils? How do we make sure everybody knows how to use the basic apps and, you know, their devices taken care of and every, there's Apple TVs in all the rooms and everybody can screen share and collaborate. All the, eco, the ecosystem of all our different systems are uh, working in tandem. And, I mean, really, that was a year hmm. to, to just get everything cooking. Wow. Yeah. Up, up to temp. And then from there, we started really pushing... You know, we and we had faculty at different readiness levels of, hey, I'm ready to experiment with um, doing some projects that are really enhanced the technology. Um, you know, flipping the classroom or using um, uh, collaborative uh, response apps. You know, uh, active learning that's enhanced with the technology. Um, and how do you stem the distraction and this sort of thing? Um, and so, what's what I really and, and all that's awesome. And but one of the things that we collaborate a lot on is this sort of student life piece or this co-curricular learning piece of doing the technology retreats, hmm. the treks. You know, that's one aspect right. of it. And so we, when we talk about the boots, we talk about the the treks being, you know, outside the classroom learning. I mean, it's not just going and exploring the awesome trails around Hiram and, and the field stations. We have one here up the road and also up in the UP, but also, uh, you know, clinical learning, um, internship experience, study abroad, all those things that Hiram does really well. The boots kind of symbolize that. Right. But in a, re- in a much more kind of literal sense, we've developed this program of retreating from technology and going out to nature and intentionally reflecting and, and disconnecting from the tech in order to um, get better with the tech, really. And and I think that's what you know the research you you you've been doing a lot of is this you call it digital detoxes. Right. And so we've right. been running we ran a couple of these at Hiram now. Right. And we're, we're gearing up to talk about that at LETC, and uh, gearing up to do another one this this June hopefully. Right. Right. Yeah. The um, the the digital detoxes um, that we've done at Hiram. Um, you're very fortunate to to have the uh, Northwoods facility. Oh, up on uh, Lake Superior there. Incredible space. Yeah. And you want to talk about, you know, deep Hiram roots. Yeah. Yeah, um, Northwoods, right, built in the late 70s by just an amazing um, group of Hiram faculty and students. Um, 
I mean, just an incredible project. It's built with their hands, you know, log cabins, track of land. Right. And um, it's it's consistently from that time period been a place that, that people take classes. Hmm. You know, people retreat there and they'll, they'll run classes, you know, three seasons, three or four seasons. And p- folks will go up there and, and, you know, anything from creative writing to photography to wolves in society to a, a lot of field biology, environmental science. Um, a lot of um, independent research is done up there, and um, alumni just love it. People have gotten married up there. You know? <laughs> I mean, people fall in love up there. You know, they just love. Yeah. Students go back again and again, um, and it's in the middle of Hiawatha National Forest, and um, yeah, there's 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 a serenity there, and it's different than just tent camping. We went to the Ohio Pile um, State Park, and we and we did a kind of tent camping retreat this last October. And we were trying to reproduce and extend our, our digital detox. And we learned a lot of things there. We were trying out our new journal. But we were I think we were challenged by the new the environment, the kind of the tent camping public park environment. I right, was right. And not having the Northwoods camp to kind of like ground the experience. Right, right. Yeah, it is it is it is a heck of a place. Uh it's an awesome asset. Yeah, it is. And and being able to tap into that uh you know, as a new technology program and say, hey, that's us too, has gone so far wow. with... Um, how, how do you mean, hey, that's us too? You know, a lot of times you start a new program and you're kind of seen as something new and shiny, flavor of the month and challenging traditional culture, right? Or trying to change a culture, yeah. which people who've been here for a long time say, hey, we're fun. You know, we don't need this new stuff or we don't have time for that or you guys are going to be gone. And uh, being able to... Well, this is the this is the brilliance of the vision of Tech and Trek, which was, it, it was really in line with our values. It was an extension of it. It was a, it was a challenge, uh, of of what Hiram stands for. But it w- it had enough, it had such a solid grounding in, um, it, and it was a big enough tent that everybody could kind of get a, get a piece get a piece out of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, folks, you know, environmental science folks, biology folks, um, even folks in the humanities. Um, that that value the way we do teaching and learning here, which is um, experiential, uh, uh, high impact, and, and personalized, um, can utilize. You know, we we can help. Yeah, we're a part of that as well. Right. And so you know, working and I just have a deep love for Northwoods, being from the UP. So any <laughs> any, any chance to go up there and um, work with faculty up there, I take. You know, you kidding right. me? You're paying me to go out here <laughs> and like disconnect, and uh, you know, do the focus groups or. Or run a class or a workshop or, you know, hike around and talk about technology or just connect with students. Oh, best job in the world. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, I guess that's what I meant by it, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So uh, that's, you know, and my goal, like right now, we're kind of running on piecemeal. So what I'd like to see is and we're you know, the the, the research we're doing is um I think it's interesting. We're doing, you know, qualitative stuff. We're interviewing and we're doing focus groups and we're we're taking notes and making we're kind of explore it's exploratory is how you put it. Right, right. So yeah, so you're you're talking about the research that you and I have yeah. been doing together. Yeah, with, with um Hiram students. Um I think um we've if if you look at the research that I've done with the summer camps, you know, but before you and I started collaborating on with the college it became clear that there's there's a benefit. So I, I did something like five studies, one of which was a national survey of 1,100 kids attending, it was 46 different summer camps. 
And it, it, the numbers are off the charts in terms of the percentage of kids who are saying this is a phenomenal benefit. I mean, we think about this. You've got 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids in that national survey. They had been away from at camp for four weeks on average, some for eight weeks, as many as eight weeks. So four weeks on average with no access to technology. And they're saying it was something like 72% saying camp would have been worse if I had been allowed to bring my phone, right? And then we asked them to, to rate their level of frustration at not having phone, as- phone access and their, their level of happiness because they don't have phone access. And on a scale of zero to 100, they rated their happiness at, at 82 and their frustration at 20. Wow. Uh, so they're saying I was four times happier than frustrated, right, at not having tech access. So I think that the, um, the camp research has established that the kids themselves see a tremendous benefit yeah. from this and they like it. They like it. They like getting this benefit. They like the relief. Right. And and what we're hearing is there are short ter- short term benefits and long term benefits. And I feel like what you and I are trying to do is come up with sort of to, to with our research with Hiram College students, it's going to the next level mm. and trying to figure out how to codify this experience. How can we sort of come up with a formula, a pattern, a paradigm, right? Uh, protocols right for optimizing that benefit yeah right that's that's really I think what what we're doing it's it's what can we do to fine-tune and engineer the experience of getting away from tech for five days or longer right so that you get the most out of it in terms of the short-term relief and mm-hmm. the long-term change in benefit yeah yeah change in mindset and, and behavior relationship and I, with technology right and I think we're on to something so, oh, big time. I, we're, we're getting tremendous insights from that, I, I believe, with our research. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's very exciting. And, and um, you know, so much can be said just about the the, the um, organic interest from students in this sort of thing. Like, you, I mean, we just didn't have to promote it, right. you know, for the first two. Um, and it's going to be so exciting. What, I, what I'd love to do is track students. You know, what we want to show is less is more. And that students that have these experiences are, are, are more productive with the tech, which is counterintuitive. Right. Kind of like some of your original research. It's like people think, you know, well, if they're spending less time on the technology, they're going to be less skilled with it. Um, and I don't think that's the case. Right. I think people that spend the most time are, are, are maybe I, least productive. Or, right. or, there's, or it's a little messier than that. But From everything that I've seen, the kids who go through that detox experience, yeah. when they get back home and turn their phone on, they still know how to like a photo. They, they don't, <laughs> yeah. they don't right. lose that ability, right? right? So, yeah. <laughs> just joking. No, that's good. No uh, loss of skills. <laughs> yeah, They're not behind. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so, I mean, I think demonstrating that would be really powerful. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, I'd love to, you know, we want to publish and we want to do more of it, but what I'd love to do is resource it and make it more available to more students. You know, not just to hire, but elsewhere. Like if, if we could if we could show that this has really profound benefit right. for for young people, uh, it helps them um, focus more, uh, it helps them more to be more persistent in school, it helps uh, kind of drive motivation, um, it helps them connect more with their peers and their, um, you know, their teachers or, or other folks. Uh, 
it makes him happier. Yeah. You know, um, I, I I think that it it, it could be something we invest in. You know, our institutions right. invest in, and our culture invest in. Right. Uh, and, and rekindling a relationship with nature is pretty powerful too. Right. You know, it doesn't just. It's interesting. You, you we're going to lay out in, in our presentation at OETC this um graphic you built of different types of digital detoxing right and right. there's been a lot of you know people have been kind of publishing on this people are charging tons of money now out there there's hotels resorts and like vip places which will say we're going to do the detox for you and come and pay a ton a ton of money right and uh there's different computations of it um and the one that makes the one that that we've been pushing at Hiram, which is in line with our resources and actually taps into some other research that i think is quite interesting is doing it in nature um, but I don't know if you want to speak for a minute about kind of the spectrum of, of different detox experiences. Well, yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to acknowledge it's not, you know, we don't want to present ourselves as being sort of the only one doing this, right? I mean, right. there's been, the, the, we got the term digital detox from other people. It's, it's, it's something that's been, um, people have been, you know, talking about digital detoxes in, in the media, in the news um, for several years now, and it's acknowledged as being a way to get a break and potentially transform your tech habits, you know? Um, so it's, it's not a new concept, it's not our original concept, but um, what, what we've seen, you know, if you look at the sort of the spectrum so far of what we've seen in terms of detoxes, you've got a lot of celebrities, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll read very often about such and such a celebrity is going to be taking a social media detox. So they're going to get off social media for three months or whatever, six months, right? A month, whatever it is. Um, so that's sort of a, you can think of that as being sort of a narrow, limited, focused detox. So they're still engaging with technology, right? but they're trying to force themselves to you know, resist the temptation to get on social media. Um, then you have, you're seeing sort of more in... Um, not you know not narrow detoxes but broad detoxes where people are pretty much getting off technology um but for a limited amount of time each day and we're seeing that with schools right yeah. so schools are starting to say we're going to ban smartphones right? right at school and and i have to say so so in those situations when schools ban smartphones right um kids are still using technology they're usually one to one and like every every they have a laptop for every kid or a chromebook for every kid in the school so the, the kids still have access to tech and they're using it, but they're not using it for recreational entertainment purposes the way that they use their phones. So they're not allowed to have their phones up. But, but the, the point is, is that that's sort of like, that's one step beyond uh, uh, social media detox, right? It's a more general detox and it's for five, six, seven hours a day, right? Right. And then you move a little bit further and you've got experiences like going camping, Right. If you go car camping mm -hmm. at, at a campground, mm -hmm. um, you off you you clearly don't have Wi-Fi access for the most part, unless there are certain campgrounds that do. I think some of the KOAs do. Sure. Um, so you, you will get have some opportunities with some campgrounds, but if you go to other types of campgrounds, you know the non-KOA campgrounds, uh, less commercial campgrounds, you're not going to have Wi-Fi access while you're at the campground, and depending on where it's located, you won't have a cell signal. So you get a more, um, a, 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 each day you'll get, you know, a lot more time where you're not able to access tech. 
you know, you, you probably eventually, when you're at a campground like that, are able to access tech if you go downtown. You know, if there's a town nearby and you're in the town, you get a cell signal, you stop and get coffee somewhere, you get on Wi-Fi. But then you've got the the, on the, the, the furthest extreme that would be the sort of thing we're look, looking at, which is a total detox where you have no access to tech right. for, for an extended period of time. Yeah, and... Uh you know, I, I think there's, I think oftentimes that's misunderstood as saying, you know, we're advocating for the kind of Ludditism or a kind of return to one room schoolhouses, pen and paper, and um, this thing is ruining, <laughs> scrambling our brains. Um, and uh, I, what I like is, is kind of how you temper that with, with talking about um, the awaken, like awakening to, like going through a different experience without it and thinking about kind of this, the trend, the different states of mind you go through um, and as students kind of reflect on their experience over the, the, those few days. Right. Yeah. So, so there's that whole concept that, you know, when you, if you th- think about, think about it this way, Pew Research did a survey, it was like a year and a half ago and they, they asked, um, I think they did this with adults too, but I, I, I remember the, 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 the survey with teens and they said, um, you know, Whatever the question was, they basically found that 45% of teens, this was like almost two years ago, basically said that they're just continuously online throughout the day, right? So if you're continuously online throughout the day, you're basically, with everything that you're doing, you're simultaneously, while you're doing that other real world thing, like being in class, doing homework, right? Eating dinner with family, you're simultaneously getting on your phone. Right. Right. So in a way you could You're say always multitasking. Yeah. So you you could say you could describe that or, or label that your your mind is sort of tech saturated. Mm. Right. It's just saturated in technology because you're just continuously engaging with technology while you're doing other things. And and when you go through a detox, you your your mind state changes over the, the course of say three to five days at a minimum, you migrate into a new mind state. Where you you lose that that um, state of being saturated continuously with tech, and you, you're liberated from that, and you, you because you have no access to tech, mm-hmm. and you get into a different mind state, and and what we found with with our own experiences, because you and I have both been through detoxes and yeah. through observing kids and talking to them, um, is that when you're in that mind state, that new mind state, there's a natural process of reflecting back on the tech-saturated mind state, and comparing and contrasting the two. And that's that's what can potentially be um, the source for motivation to change. You know, your tech yeah. habits long-term, and, the, and it's it's an awakening. You start to awaken. Well, and usually it goes something like, what was I thinking? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, this is, or this is, this is bliss, you know? Right. And uh, I can think so much clearer. I've got such a better sense of... You know where I like who where I am, how things are going, uh, and this fits in with with a paper that's really um, inspired a lot of my thinking on it called contrasting screen time and green time. It talks and it, it it really talks about this idea of uh, ART uh, attention restoration therapy, hmm. which came about you know as people were getting really worried about televisions in the '90s and they're worried about all the screen time kids are having from TVs, and. Uh, you know what do we do when 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 people can't keep attention on things anymore, right? They're worried about the attention span, <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Reducing, right? You know, twenty, thirty, thirty years ago, right? And uh, and they found that um, 
you know, spending time in nature kind of restores that ability. Mm. That uh, kind of the constant stream of of um, stimulus, the kind of constant colors and, and graphics and kind of highly designed things that are thrown in front of us from TV or now social media or, or threads or other things or just the internet, you know, the way that media is presented to us is very um, calculated to be right. constantly right. engaging and, and stimulating. And right. they've done, you know, studies on on how your eyes move across it and how it stimulates right. your brain and it engages um, a kind of response right. uh, that gets you kind of aroused and thinking, you know, um, this is something that I could act on, right? Some buy something or something's, you know, attractive or something's kind of fearful and grotesque. Um, and, and, you know, that's how we work, right? We're kind right. of always on high alert. And it, and it taxes the system. Right. It absolutely taxes your ability to, um, to think uh, creatively um, and to think about yourself and to connect with other people. Right. And so this, they found the opposite happens when you spend lots of time in nature, that you're able to, to restore that ability um, quite quickly, non-threatening time in nature. Right. Um, I, I have an interesting um, experience I wanted to share with you. I don't know if I've told you this before. But sure. So this this goes back to the mid-90s, and it's it has to do with TV. And I was at a mall with, with my girlfriend at the time, and we were walking past, you know, it was a shopping mall, and the storefronts were glass. So we were walking through the mall, and we passed, I think it was like a running shoe store. And they had a, it was one of those, uh, like a, a, a full wall with television screens. So it's it was basically, imagine like, whatever, 25, 30 screens showing the same thing. Right, right, right. right. And, and I forget what it was exactly, but it was some kind of cartoon. And something struck me. So I'm, I'm watching this cartoon as I'm walking past the store, and I can't hear the audio, so I'm not distracted by the audio. I'm just engaging with the visual. And I noticed suddenly that there was a, there was a rhythm. It was like every second th- there would be motion on the screen. Right. And then I, and, and I actually stopped and I started, and it was moving, the, the motion was timed perfectly at this steady rhythm. Then I noticed that motion that you'd see every second was left to right, right to left. <laughs> and it was sort of like a pendulum, it's a hypno- hypnotizing, it's right? Yeah. And, and if you think about that, it, it's hypnotic, but, but it, it's also creating an intentional rhythm, right? It's, it's sort of an external stimulus that's, that's entering your field of awareness. And it's changing with right. this regular rhythm. And I feel like that's what t- television does. It creates this attentional rhythm that you adjust to and you want it to continue yep, yep. it's like it's like it has a momentum right and, and, and it's lose, the same thing with the phones i feel i think completely and i think you lose a patience for things that don't operate in that rhythm that's right and I, like people right <laughs> and, and you know and and it's uncomfortable to be in situations where things aren't as you know designed or things are a little awkward or things don't move at a pace right people shut down they're not able to kind of engage with it but another way to say this, it, it sort of gets back to what you're saying about green time. So when you go into green time right. and you, you no longer have these external stimuli yeah. regulating your rhythm, your, your, your internal, it allows your internal, your natural internal rhythms to emerge and take over. Right. Well, and, right? yes, and, and I think it's the same thing, is connect with the rhythms of, of natural spaces. Which, which, which are, are much slower. slower. Right, right. And, yeah, like you think about, you know, the... And it and varies from place to place, and to be and to be in tune with right. with nature and environment is is really a sublime feeling. Right to you know to feel the wind or the water or whatever it is, the temperature, the sound of birds and, and wildlife. Like it's just to actually be out there and engage with nature in that way 
um, is just so tremendously comforting. A lot of people get that. I mean, I certainly get this. Right, right. Um, and restorative. Right. And, uh, you know, so many, especially a lot of our young people here have never done that kind of thing. Right. You know, talking with students who put on their boots here for the first time and go out during their freshman seminar and, and like, what are we doing? We're going out into the woods. Right, It's alienating. Oh, it's, well. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly new, you yeah. know. It's a, it's, a, it's a different experience. Um, but it does take a few days to get there. And one of the things right. we talk about is this withdrawal period. Right. Um, and it is very uncomfortable to be unplugged from that rhythm. <laughs> and I, you know, I, you, you laugh every time I tell the story, but I remember <laughs> going up to Northwoods for the first, it wasn't the first time, but first time we did a detox. And, uh, and I remember driving up there <laughs> and having my phone and you enter the, the, the Hiawatha National Forest and, about 30 minutes out from the camp, you lose signal. And you're fine with that because you don't use, you don't have a smartphone. Right, <laughs> right. But I, I work with GPS. And I remember I, had, I, had, I, print, I was, they told me I needed to print out the map <laughs> and that I had to like follow directions. And I like, somehow I was like, yeah, whatever. And I just got up there and all of a sudden I got lost and I wow. couldn't find the place because wow. I'm so used to Google Maps. Wow. And so I drove around for quite a while and I, I finally got there and I was a little early. And, uh, and I remember like just like setting all my, getting settled into the cabin one of these side cabins we have and just being sitting down and being like, what do I do now? You know? And, and like I kept going for my phone and pulling it out and then like standing up and pacing around the cabin, you know, and being really uncomfortable, like really right. looking for, I was caught in that rhythm right. of like, right. what's next? What do we do? And you had that momentum. You wanted to, it, your body wanted to continue. Your, your mind and body wanted to continue. Absolutely. And yeah. I, and I think it took, it took me probably four or five hours Wow. and I just kind of walking around camp and being in nature and yeah. getting away from my normal stuff outside of my car, away from my phone to start to slow down and start to get into a different state of mind. Right. And I can't tell you just the, the relief I felt mm. from just being in the moment and being disconnected. And what so so and this is something else we talk about. Um, the, the, the real question is, is this just camp head? Right. Is this just the feeling of being on vacation or being in nature? Um, can I can we transplant or learn from that state of mind and bring it back to normal life? I think that's the big question. Well, let, me, let me say this. I think we talk about how. You know, we're in a situation, right, with with media, right, where an external stimulus is sort of setting our mental rhythm for us, right? We adapt to it, and we start to to want it and need it, right? We have an expectation, right? And when that that external stimulus is removed from us, we go through the anxiety you're talking about, right? Yeah. Like, what yeah. do I do, right? So, so here's the point: I feel like that mind state has a momentum, right? You your body adapts to it, and it wants to continue. Once you migrate and get into the tech-free state of mind, that has its own rhythm, right? And you know that, that experience, right? The kids talk about it, we, we, we experience it. Yep. You want that to continue, it has a momentum of itself, on, of its own, right? So it's almost like yeah. we're polarized, right? right? You, 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 you sort of like, you start to really enjoy being in that new slower rhythm and you start to sort of dread Right. You feel like you're living at a deeper level. It's it's a richer experience, and you dread going back to the old way. But eventually, you go back home, and you've got a phone, and you've got a signal, and you've got a laptop, and, and a it's over the culture is overwhelmed. Right, and but, so many, yeah. But it, my point is about this this sort of vacillation, yeah, right, between these two poles. And I feel like the question becomes: How can you right. strike a balance so that you're in control, right? Yeah. So that you're almost grounded in 
Maybe it doesn't have to be the rhythm, a rhythm that's as slow as when you're in the woods right. for five days, but a rhythm that is at least slower yeah. so that you're living at a deeper level, that you're, you know, you're at a higher state of consciousness right. and your mind isn't, uh, your rhythms aren't to, to such a great degree being dictated by the external stimuli, right? Right. Well, and I think so. And what we're looking for, I, I think, I think what's out there is, is practice, right? And they talk. So I think about um, the the analogy I use is, is meditation and people who practice mindfulness, and um, people who start to practice this stuff um, talk about how it changes their outlook, kind of the similar way. Like right. it lets them slow down, focus on coming home to the body, thinking about themselves, thinking. Uh, separating their feelings um, from their state of being, and um, and so on, and they they talk about how that state of mind at, through practice they can bring to other you know moments throughout their day, mm. um, and other experiences throughout their day it helps them appreciate other things or, or do other things more effectively through practice and over time. I think the same thing is is, yeah. is pro- I think they're very related. I agree. Then we're talking about states of mind, and you know some of the the, the paper Green Time Screen Time talks about how. Um, you know, being in green time in this way is almost a kind of simulation of of, of meditation of mindfulness. Yeah, that's um, a good point. And uh, so, so my my thought and our thought is, you know, if you know through these periodic the, the 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 big idea I think is through periodic retreats, right? By practicing states of mind, becoming more aware of states of mind by experientially going through different states of mind, like tech saturation, no saturation, some saturation, and whatnot, and and students can kind of become in control and right. being able to maybe not always be able to say, you know, what's my rhythm or where am I at or control exactly how I'm feeling because it's just stated. I mean, that's the nature of being human is right. things come and right. we don't, we, you know, we're not Vulcans, right. but there's a spectrum here. Right. <laughs> you right. know? I, I wanted to um, make an interesting point here. It's, it's a related point. It kind of supports what you're saying. And that is, um, so we, we've talked about, you know, you and I in our research and analyzing our findings and trying to codify things to present at OETC for our presentation on this. Um, we've we've talked about how going through this experience for some people it can be transformational, right? In in other words, oh yeah, it can result in them deciding, developing the motivation and the drive, and then taking action and and being successful and changing their tech habits long term. And that doesn't mean they don't go on tech, it means they make a change, right? They, right. they find some, some way that works for them to reduce the, the compulsive recreational entertainment use of technology throughout the day, right? Yes. And, and for me, I wanted to recount this, that as a result of, it really took me, it was two or three consecutive years of camping. Um, it was after the, the two or three years um, I was on my the, the second or third trip, you know, in that second or third year, and I finally decided I had to get rid of my smartphone. I mean, I I had been struggling for two to three years to try to curb my use to control it. It was driving me insane. Yeah, you know, I could it just just like you, I could not stop looking at that yeah. phone every yeah. moment. And um, it but it was that detox experience that that allowed me when I got home to go to Verizon and say I want to go back to a flip phone. And and I felt like I was. I mean, I felt like I was uh, selling all my assets and <laughs> giving them away and moving to Antarctica. I mean, so, yeah. it, like, like this was a momentous life decision. It, yeah. it was absurd, but be- because you know that within hours, if if I felt like this was a big mistake, I could go back to Verizon and turn the the, the smartphone on again, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but but I went through this, and that was August of 2014. Yeah, 
And I went through physical withdrawal for three to four weeks. And once I got through that, it, I haven't looked back. And I'm, I'm, you know, there might there might come a day where I have to get a phone again, a smartphone. I, I use a flip phone now, but it hasn't happened yet. And and I do not regret it. And it, uh, not not once have I, even though I got lost last night and didn't have GPS. And, <laughs> yeah, you called and, me. Yeah, and got up to Hiram an hour late. Yeah, I'm still. That's I'm fine with that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sure. But but two years, two, three years later, I I ended up getting off of Facebook. Mm-hmm. For that experience, and then at at um, Northwoods, we've talked to uh, some students who made changes like that. They got off social media, right? Yeah, yeah, they have. Um, when when you, I want to go back for a second, but I don't want to get on this. But you said physical withdrawal. What do you mean by that? Well, the feeling, the the, the similar feeling of anxiety that you're describing, um, um, you know, wanting that rhythm to continue. So so for example the. An example that really sticks out in my mind is I remember going out for breakfast on a Sunday morning, and um, and on the drive back home, literally stepping on the gas to get home quicker yeah. so that I could check Facebook. <laughs> you know, um, and and, right. and also that feeling like, you know my God, what if my car breaks down? And like the, where I live, like, you know, I, all I'd have to do is walk 300 feet, right? <laughs> and find, find somewhere where I could, yeah. you know, borrow a phone and make a phone call, and you know what I mean? Um, right. Or go to walk into a store. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was an absurd anxiety, like, oh my, my you know, I could die yeah. if my car breaks down, like, <laughs> like I'm in the middle of Alaska or something. Yeah, you know? people, people take it very seriously. And I think, and there's definitely a spectrum of how it affects people. You know, I think just tacitly. I, I mean, I think some people, it's a bit, it's a bigger issue than it is for other people. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I, you know, and getting back to what you talk about, when we, there's the first thing we did at Northwoods where we looked at what are the different student responses to the experience and talking about it. There's, a, there's kind of three categories broadly that we outlined. One of a group of people who um, had done it several times, more or less, and they said as a result of this, they had made real changes in their life, and they see they changed intentionally their relationship with technology mm-hmm. for the better. Um, then there was a group who um, really felt that tech, they wanted to change their relationship with technology, and they had intentions to do so, but they failed to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, when they went back, and they weren't able to kind of, you know, they kind of settle back in their old ways. And then there's a third group who didn't really see, didn't really feel. You know, they didn't. They didn't think that tech was a big problem. Right. They kind of thought camp was just camp, and they were looking forward to going back to their life. Sounds like more or less. Right. <coughs> and I think that, you know, you and I were kind of like, well, how do we, you know, how do we get them to, you know, have the moment? And you know, what's the difference between these groups and all that? And I think there's ways of designing the experience to, uh, to elicit these things. But I also think that, um, you know, maybe it's not for everybody. You know, maybe some people are fine, more, you know, more fine with it. And uh, I think some people struggle with it more and get more out of it, and I think recognizing that is 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 uh, is that, important. That's a good point, and that sort of mirrors how I look at our the research data I mentioned before that about sixty, excuse me, sixty five percent of the people that we've surveyed across different demographics um, feel like it's a problem that can't be controlled, and something needs to be done about it. Right? Yeah. And so it makes sense that the other um, thirty-five percent. Right? Yeah, don't feel that it's a problem, 
that you know maybe a small percentage of them well, are, aren't admitting it right they right. think it is but they're not admitting and it so but i think that was our gut reaction was oh these folks are in denial right right but maybe they there really isn't a problem right you know and it makes me think about the analogy you were in my class this morning on, on tech and culture mm-hmm. and one of the one of the case studies the book brings up later we haven't gotten there yet is on gambling and gambling addiction right. which is a really interesting man-made addiction right. you know and and there's been this comparison now between the algorithms used in social media and gambling and how it stimulates it kind of hits the same you know um parts of the brain um stimulates the same kind of um, dopamine receptors and all this um and it and it, it kind of hits you at the same kind of rhythm of you know keeping you hooked on the same way gambling does when does it pay out when does it not pay out and uh the the book looks at you know what is the relationship between people who get addicted to gambling you know like what is the responsibility of casinos and people who build um these machines and uh and the broader population is is this a problem of individual choice you know is this a is this people you know kind of morally you know not able to handle it um or you know is this are, are these uh what and what, what what's the responsibility of, of of groups to um you know is this ethical to allow this sort of thing to happen right. um or you know, do we need to block, make illegal gambling because uh, a certain subset of the population has a real problem with it and it d- and destroys lives, yeah. you know? Right, right. Um, should it be something that's out there because, you know, a certain set of the population can't handle it right. and it messes with them? Right. Um, or is it, you know, so is it, is it the technology that's addictive or is it or is this kind of a personality kind of a thing that needs to be handled on a deeper level? Right. Um, it's, right. I think it's a big, it's a big kind of complex question. And the, the book kind of says it's a little bit A, it's a little bit of B, it's like, the, the companies are taking advantage of of um, kind of human basic human drives and um, and individuals are kind of um, certain individuals uh, you know it affects certain people more adversely than others right, right. I think it's probably true with cell phones and, and screen time too right except that we are seeing you know I agree with you but the proportions seem to be higher right so well so if we've got 65 percent of people admitting, self-reporting that I think this is a problem. Yeah. You know. Well, and there's I totally agree. And there's a lot more to be said too, too about a kind of um clinical issue with screen addiction or video game, you know, the extreme outliers where right. it's wrecking wrecking young people's lives. Um which, you know, there's camps out there, you, you know, that that we've heard of that run specialized detox camps with, you know, clinicians and experts and this right. sort of thing for people who are profoundly right. <laughs> have profound issues. And there's the kind of detox and retreats that I'm really interested in, which is sort of like a triage kind of theory, which is like, how how can this improve normal people? Right. You know, what is right. what does this have to offer, you know, your average student? Or your average family, or your average person, um, could you know? And this is the idea of mindful technology: kind of break out. It's not A or B. It's how do we, um, you know, having being able to control the rhythm of thought and mindset um, benefits everybody, you know. Right. And right. Uh, that I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> you know, one of the things I and, and thinking about that, I remember returning from that. Um, Returning from that uh, that detox and thinking, returning to my cell phone, my smartphone. I remember getting yeah. back to Kent from from uh, from the UP and getting back on Facebook for the first time. Yeah, and just being, I remember just a smile 
coming across my face. I remember enjoying, I remember just like, oh, like laughing and like clicking and commenting. Wow. I remember the first couple times I used it, it really felt like a joyride. Wow. <laughs> like it was, yeah. it was hitting me, you know, anew, wow. right? It was, the stimulus was, was quite, enjo- it was really fun. Hmm. And then over a week, it really petered down back yeah. to just sort of being like, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> what am I doing back right. here? Chasing the high, you know, or <laughs> looking for that experience. <laughs> I, you know, I want to hope that, and, I, and maybe some people are, you know, check, you know, set a window and they check it, uh, whatever it is, 20 minutes a day or um, what have you. And it, it really is something that they're able to enjoy in moderation mm. um, <laughs> to continue with the addiction, you know, yeah. the addiction analogy. What well, with, um, in regard to OETC, um, we are, we might want to just lay out um, sort of an outline of what we're going to be talking about sure. in our, our presentation. So this is sort of an overview, uh, sort of a framework that we've come up with. Um, so we're going to start off in our OETC, the Ohio Educational Technology Conference session that, that Garrett and I are doing together next month. We're going to start off. It's it's basically going to be based upon our our research on digital detoxes. Yes. So we're going to start off just talking about the digital detox, what it is, what defines digital detox, the different types of digital detoxes. Um, then we want to lay out for people the um, the different stages that you go through in a digital detox. So Gary, you've talked about we've talked about moving, you know, migrating from the tech saturated mind state to the tech free state mind state. And that that takes about five days, three to five days to get there, yeah. depending on the person. And you start off in that agitated state of withdrawal, which lasts, say, one, two, three days, depending on the person. And then you start to normalize. You get into like a normal state. And then, um, uh, you, well, you stabilize. You sort of, your mind stabilizes and you don't feel that compulsive drive to use the tech and that, that physical anxiety is, as much. And then by about day five, it just seems like you're in a normal new state. So we'll, we'll walk through that. Um, then we'll talk about the, the process of taking a detox. So the point here is the kind of detox that we're going to be focusing on is that, you know, that full detox where you're away from tech. And, you know, maybe you have a little bit of access half an hour a day or something if you go into town. But pretty much, the, you know, the people are away from tech for pretty much 24 hours a day for five days. Um, then we'll we'll walk through our research, both with the camps and um, at with Hiram College students at Northwoods and the Ohio Pile uh, uh, camp camping trip we took. Um, then we'll we'll get into um, how to plan a digital detox for optimal benefit, and this is where Garrett and I are we're taking our insights from the fo- especially from the focus groups with the Hiram College students, yeah, and laying out a series of best practices. So we'll lay out, you know, before you take a detox, these are things you can do um, to prepare for it, including the um, creating a packing list, if, if, if you want to talk about that for a minute. Sure. No, and this was something, um, this was a suggestion in a conversation we had with some of the students yeah. in that they were, um, you know, suggesting what, what, you know, preparing for the trip really matters and thinking about, intention and what you bring along with you to the trip really matters and so thinking about um, planning your trip around activities that are low-tech that can also trans translate 
from camp time back home. So if you really want to work on you know building a new habit of reading, packing a book or, be, or, or several books, right. or packing or, or building a new habit of writing, you know, journal, setting a time and committing to, to journaling, and then being able to kind of build that habit over the course of the replace your tech time, your screen time with this new low tech or whatever it is habit, um, and then and then really in, in, intentionally set up like, hey, I want to do this not just during camp time, but when I come back to replace that screen time. And so it's a it's an opportunity to kind of really reframe habits. And you know, you might you know, also think about socializing. A lot of students from our focus group said they were just stunned by how fun and easy it was to just spontaneously socialize with, with people their own age. Right. Like, oh, it was so fun. I met people, we became such good friends up there, and back home I, I feel like I can't make friends, or it's mm. really hard to you know, spontaneously kind of play or joke around or do things. And they're like, I had it up, up and, uh, you know, without the phones and after the course of a few days, it was just a ball. Mm. And uh, so, you know, bringing social activities, like one of the things they like to do is play hacky sack. You know, or play card games, um, which are which are social, and so yeah, I think that's you know. W- so we built some organizers, and we built it into our journal, you know, mm-hmm. for pre and during kind of right plans, right. And then for, for so that's you know sort of anticipating those those activities that you want to do while you're on your detox, and then bring back home as sort of transitional activities, right? Exactly. Um, and the the other thing we've we've we'll be talking about is. Um, terms of during the detox we've talked about how you when you migrate to this new mind state the tech-free mind state it's a natural process it just you just naturally look back at your tech saturated mind state and you contrast the two and that's when you start to compare and contrast the two mind states and you realize oh you know this is something you know my priorities are distorted when i'm in that tech saturated mind state so part of our uh concept here is to we know that that process of analysis or comparison that facilitates the awakening that you have, right? That happens naturally, but but we want to sort of step in right. and supplement it and structure it and guide them to yeah. some extent too. So we want the natural reflection to take place too, but we also want to impose <laughs> structured activities, yeah. structured reflection time. That's right. And that's going to be part of the 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 you know the, the the planning for the detox itself the actual experience of the detox yeah yep and you know part of that is uh having time we, we right we sort of talked about how much structured time versus how much unstructured time right and getting the balance right is really important we we i feel like we overdid the structured time with our last trip and a lot of uh a lot of that was um there were other things going on with the trip it wasn't just the tech detox Right. Sort of a cultural co-curricular learning experience. We went whitewater rafting. We visited uh, Falling Water, right. and we did all kinds of things. And it was busy. There was a lot of right. lot going on, and so I f- we felt that students didn't have enough time to kind of do reflection and kind of unwind. And it was a little rushed. It was over a three-day weekend um, to really get the benefits of of resetting the rhythm and, and getting in touch with the yeah, and, to, yeah. and to, to be in stillness and quietness yeah. and solitude to, to feel the anxiety, right? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and to cope with that and, 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 and witness it sort of dissipating right over time absolutely that, yeah that and transformation when and talking about it you know interpersonally or as a small group one of the other things we talk about is um building um 
setting intentions not just by yourself but with with friends you know setting up kind of a support group if you will for when you get back for when you get back and and helping people talk about you know staying accountable to um you know making hard habit changes right right (laughs) right and then we've got the third part of that is the post detox so we'll be making some suggestions about what people can do after they get back home to try to you know maintain some momentum with the with this benefit that they've gained um, going through the detox. Um, so, so, and then, um, yeah, the, the last parts of our talk, it's, it's going to be, um, talking sort of, sort of about the, um, the healing benefits of a detox, which is basically to say, you know, to, to walk through, these are the short-term benefits, you know, so there are short-term benefits of the detox, which is simply getting relief in the moment, right? While you're on the detox, you get, relief from you know being constantly on your phone it's just a, a sense of relief um th- just by having that change so there's a short-term benefit of relief but then the, the long term we want to talk about the mechanisms the long-term benefit and that that process of transformation that can take place but we want to talk about the fact that even if you don't transform as a result of that particular detox that you're going on right there's still the benefit of the awakening, right? Right. Which so when you have that that awakening, that raising of consciousness of how technology is affecting you, that that probably will stay with you, and you never know when in the future, um, it might sort of become a touchstone, right? Something you return to. It could be your next detox experience, right? It could be some other experience, like you know. Uh, you're in a situation where your phone breaks and you can't use it for 24 hours, yeah. right? Oh. And and that sort of brings you back oh, wow. to yeah. your detox experience. Remember this, right? yeah. <laughs> you know? So so there, even though even if you're not transformed on that first sure. detox experience, there's gonna be some sort it's, of raising of consciousness that could benefit you at another time in right. the future. And it might take multiple, right. know, kind of a, yeah. Right. Um, and then finally, we talk about what institutions and organizations can do to foster um to provide students with these sort of technology retreats right. or digital detox experiences right and we get some some different strategies and tactics and resources for for starting up uh, right yeah and that that's that's of concern uh, you know the the context here is it's the educational technology conference so it's going to be educators at the conference and we know that schools this is a you know especially for k-12 right versus college. We know it's a huge issue with K-12 schools and that they're really struggling with it. We know that a lot of schools are um, deciding that there's nothing else they can do but ban phones at the school to, in order to address the problems it's creating in the school system, right? Um, so we feel that if schools can, you know, schools are struggling with this problem and they're trying to figure out how to address it you know, Garrett and I feel that one way they could do this is to to think about adding this tremendously beneficial experience called the digital detox somehow right. to to their you know their the school's culture or um, you know the school's agenda you know um, even as like a co- a club right right think, we were talking about thinking about it as a sport right right how do you start a new sport right it needs resourcing. Right, you know, it needs attention, but it might start as just a co- as a, as an after school club 
with some interested parents or a teacher or an advisor and students who are kind of interested and right. and grow from there. Right. Or or it might come more formally top down or, you know, with, with grants or, or gifts from people, you know, this sort of thing, or a combination of all those things. Right. So, I mean, it's what we've been doing here at Hiram. Or, or just institutionalize like a camping trip every year, right? Maybe yeah. not every student goes on it, but some do. Or sure. We talked about, excuse me, partnering with a local summer camp. Yes. And I know that some of that is already going on. That's what that's what's really cool about this model is it's it's it it gets students it gets people outdoors. Yeah. And uh, that's just a that's just a, a great thing. We've been doing that here in you know in this country for a long time. Encountering this is something we talk about in my course as well. The uh, the American sublime, the natural sublime. I mean, it was part of our cultural identity is is going out and seeing the great country, seeing the natural wonders, you know. Yeah. Um, in a country with so much diversity, we didn't have the kind of uh, uh, religious kind of experiences, um, the kind of powerful experiences that other countries had. Hmm. So, you know, I, so I looking at the history of, of uh, schools and, and this institution in particular, like it was like people went on these great outdoors tracks, you know, and... Uh, and I think this is just this is another way of of even more even more today is it important that um, you know in, in the face of all uh, of all the screen time to, right. to build a relationship with nature um, in, in the face of, of all the technology yeah. yeah I think it's a great opportunity so I guess that that's pretty much it we wanted to just lay out in this podcast you know talk about our upcoming presentation at OETC and uh, provide people with some background information on that and some insight as to what uh, what's behind what we'll be presenting there so we hope to see you there yeah and uh, we'll you know you can um, you can reach us on uh, the website or through email we'll list those in the description okay thanks for talking today Michael likewise all right